Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. It's really a delight to be with you. I haven't spoken um, here for a couple of years, and I was telling somebody in between the services I haven't talked for quite a long time, so it's fun. I haven't done it for a while, and it is a lot of fun. So we're continuing with the Partners in Prosperity program that Larry began this month with. Reverend Larry is in Salt Lake City, where the Parliament of World Religious Religions is being held. And I think it's sort of interesting, a couple of years ago it was in Barcelona, Spain, and now it's Salt Lake. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> coming up in the world, spreading, spreading the joy around. <clears throat> and so we're continuing, as I said, with the 40-day prosperity plan. And Reverend Larry, a few weeks ago, had us begin on October 5th as a community to practice. And so I'm going to read today's affirmation, which is number four in this series, and this is what it says. Through my consciousness of my God self, the Christ within, as my source... I draw into my mind and feeling nature the very substance of spirit. This substance is my supply. Thus, my consciousness of the presence of God within me is my supply. Today, I'm going to address the concept of all-sufficiency, which is the very first chapter in this book, and which technically focuses on oneness. But first, a couple of questions for you to contemplate. Do you see yourself as a generous person? And if so, what ways are you generous? And if not, what holds you back from giving? Do you have faith that whatever you need will always be provided? Three, do you feel it is spiritual to prosper? Four, do you believe people who appear to have more material wealth than you act superior to you? These are some of the questions that are on an abundance quotient quiz that uh, is on the back table on the Partners in Prosperity table. And you may want to take a, a copy of that and take it home and just study some of those questions to find out where maybe your consciousness needs a little tweaking. And you can, there are questions that encourage you to increase your faith And there are questions that uh, encourage you to do specific activities to increase your consciousness. So I encourage you to to pick that up and study the questions and see which ones you might want to begin working with. Okay, so back to all-sufficiency and oneness. Ernest Holmes, in one of his little books called Discover a Richer Life, describes God. And I want to start with that because that's what this entire talk is about. And Ernest Holmes says this, we have to realize that there is nothing separate from God. When we use the word God, we mean the truth, life, the absolute, the infinite, the spirit, everything that means that presence and power and intelligence in the universe, which is the universe. We are not talking about a theological God, an old man with whiskers combing his beard, soaking the Baptists and dry cleaning those who don't get immersed, 
or revealing himself to the Jews and not to the Gentiles, or saving the Adventists and ignoring the Methodists. There is no such God as the God many people believe in, and we should be very glad of that. By the word God, we mean life, intelligence in action, the spirit within all nature, animating everything and animating ourselves. When we use the word God, we are saluting the divine presence in each other and in everything. The beauty that sees and imagines and paints the glory of a sunset or the softness of an early dawn, the aroma of the rose, the enthusiasm of the child at play, the intelligence of the philosopher, the worshipful attitude of the devotee, this is all God. The moment we draw a line against some part of the eternal presence, which is in all things, we shut ourselves off from it. Okay, so back to all. Everything that exists, visible or invisible, form or no form, thought, feeling, action, perception, belief, experience, cow, squirrel, mosquito, love, daffodil, fish, mountain, star, dog, money, book, joy, jewel, galaxy, soft, soiree, art, music, margarine, (laughs) cockroach, snake, bird, beauty, dirt, everything, 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 no exceptions. That means there is absolutely nothing apart or separate from its source, the one source of everything. The one energy back of, in, through, as, all, period. We get, do you think we've got it now? <laughs> so believing that this is the truth, with, with a capital T, I am a manifest form of this one source. All of what is, it is expressing is through me, as me. And it must be what I am. Used years ago in the in the center in, in Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa in California, we were ne- our offices were next to a Baptist church. They had a sign in the window that faced our our window that said, "You are not God." <laughs> <clears throat> and I wanted to go over there, and knock on the door, and say, "Oh yes, we are, but so are you too." <laughs> but when I use the term "I am." To define myself, whatever statement follows in my human world is the all-sufficiency of my human life expression. Sufficiency meaning enough or adequate for the purpose. And since I'm a being that is expressing the divine, then my purpose must be to express that at at the highest level I can. And that is the all-sufficiency at work everywhere at all times in my life and in your life. The same power that creates the stars is present in me and in you. So I am using this power to co-create the purpose of my individual life. My self-awareness as a human being sets me apart from all known living species. So as I think or use this law or power, it shows up in my life with greater and greater proficiency. Oh, did I work? Did I smile that time too? (laughs) 
yes. Tried for years to get, to get that shot. <laughs> June has a way of always taking my photograph when I'm never smiling. So anyway, well, we, we did it, June. So in order for the law to work in my life in a way that reflects what I say I truly desire, then the expansion of my individual consciousness must become a priority in my thoughts, my words, and my actions. It's kind of like a no-brainer, don't you think? And does everybody really understand what we mean when we use the word law? Well, some people I know don't want to raise their hand, but they really don't understand it anyway, so I'm going to explain it a little further. (laughs) Ernest Holmes says this, when we realize that the law of mind in action is a mechanical force, our time will be spent more in acquiring a higher consciousness than in trying to make things happen. I'm going to repeat that. When we realize that the law of mind in action is a mechanical force, our time will be spent more in acquiring a higher consciousness than in trying to make things happen. Because the things are going to happen. So what things do you want to be happening? And this is one of the, the ways that meditation can help you. Because when you go within, and one of the, one of the definitions of, of meditation is to go within, to know, to know more fully, when you go within and listen, you get responses. That may not be a booming voice like in those old movies, but you get a response. And when you use this law, as, as, as Ernest Holmes says, it happens automatically. It is a mechanical thing, but it doesn't, and it doesn't make moral decisions or choices about what you decide or not decide. It just does it, and it works very much like natural laws, like electricity or gravity. It doesn't decide that one person doesn't need to be on the planet anymore, and so off they go, you know, and we can use electricity, for instance, for good things or for not so good things. We can cook our dinner with it, and we can kill a person with it. But it doesn't make that choice. It just works. And that's exactly what happens with the law. So, as again, we don't see electricity, but when we turn on the light switch, we expect the light to go on. We have faith that it's it's going to go on. But most of us have more faith in maybe the lights are not going to go on. We have faith in what's not going to work. We have faith in the negativity of the choices that we've made. And we have lots of evidence to prove our faith by more and more experience of the same. Well, what's happening is the law. The law is working absolutely perfectly because it always responds to whatever you give it with emotion, feeling, and intensity. That's what's going to show up. Anyway, I want to share with you one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines from the Science of Mind textbook. This is the textbook, and many of you know this, but it's fun to repeat it just because we forget from moment to moment. And this is on page 52 if you want to make a note later on, because you might want to look it up to remind yourself. And Ernest Holmes says this, the law works for us by flowing through us. This law we did not create. This law we cannot change. We can use it 
correctly only as we understand it and according to its own nature. Hence it follows that if we believe that it will not work, it actually works by appearing to not work. When we believe that it cannot and will not, then, according to the principle, it does not. But when it does not, it still does. Only it does according to our belief that it will not. <laughs> this is our own punishment through the law of cause and effect. We do not enter in because of our doubts and fears. It is not a punishment imposed upon us by the Spirit of God, but an automatic result of failing constructively to use the law. So that leaves all the victimness out, right? Doesn't it? Nobody's a victim. Nobody can be a victim. I know some of you believe that that might be the truth. I used to believe that. I was a victim for years and years and years. Then I read that paragraph. Ooh, we changed everything. <laughs> so how do we begin to create an internal atmosphere that assists our soul in waking up? First, it's not an intellectual exercise. It will not happen by reading a book or taking a class, or bowing down to a guru. It begins by transferring our attention from our intellect to the wisdom of our heart. Did you know that the heart is more powerful than the brain? There's a wonderful organization called the Heart Math Institute that studies the heart. And it proves all kinds of wonderful things. You might want to look into that. Number two, set the intention to increase your conscious contact with spirit. How? One of the ways, one of the really good ways, is to stop telling stories. Stop telling those stories that prove how poor you are, that prove what a victim you've been, that prove how the universe is against you, yada, yada, yada. Aren't you sick of telling those stories? <laughs> and what we do is we gather other people around us who have similar stories, and we all sit around and we tell our stories, and everybody's, oh, poor thing. <clears throat> no. But we like to be around people who agree with us, don't we? So we want to be around people who are going to be very sympathetic to our story, because they have one too, and they can't wait to share theirs. <laughs> so all of those stories are very good evidence of, quote, limitation and lack and all of that stuff. But we must begin to ask ourselves higher questions. You're in a spiritual community right here today for a reason. You know, there, there's a reason you're not bowling or something because it's raining. Um, and Oregonians do everything in the rain anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter. But <laughs> So begin to ask yourself some different questions. Like, what must shift in me to allow the grace of spirit to pour through me? What must shift in me? Two, how do I allow my heart to break open and love unconditionally? Do you know that loving unconditionally requires unconditional forgiveness and acceptance on an ongoing moment-to-moment -moment basis? It's impossible to have unconditional love without constant forgiveness and acceptance. They're part of the same coin. Three, how do I stop trying to make life happen and instead make life welcome? And four, how do I become willing to let spirit run my life? 
How do I become willing to let spirit run my life and stop fighting and stop fighting it? Once consciousness begins to expand and shift into a higher realm, we naturally and easily manifest whatever is necessary for our lives to become tools for transformation. You don't have to, like Ernest said in the beginning, you don't have to try to make those things happen. You just have to make those things welcome. And that requires faith. Faith becomes a natural activity in everyday living when our soul begins to thrive. When we let go of the fear of who we think we are. Ernest Holmes talks about faith in many places in his books. And one of his definitions is as follows. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So our faith molds the undifferentiated substance, the all-sufficiency of spirit, or the law, and brings into manifestation the thing which we designed in our mind. So what are you designing? What is it that you're thinking about most of the time? When we use our imagination combined with strong faith, it will create for us out of the one substance whatever we formed in thought. And we must remember, and I really, 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 really want you to remember this. Principle, the law, is not bound by precedent. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what happened the day before or last year or last month. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Our faith builds upon knowledge and experience. So the experiences that you want to keep storytelling about are the ones that that worked. You want to keep telling and reinforcing those times in your life when you felt so loved you could just grin from ear to ear no matter when June took the picture. (laughs) (laughs) You want to get to that place where we have more faith in ourselves as the manifestation of spirit, the more our lives reflect that divine presence. We want to live from our higher self in everything that we do, say, and think. So if you once thought of yourself as poor, you can begin to see yourself as rich. It's just as easy, and you can gather the evidence to prove that. With, all the, with the all-sufficiency of God expressing everywhere in your life, and I, I get, some of you may too, every day I get a, a little email to begin the day, and, and they're very sweet, and it comes from, quote, the universe, and from this man named Mike Dooley. And the one that came a few days ago I thought was so appropriate for today's talk, and he says, here's what I ask folks who aspire to being fabulously rich. Couldn't you just pretend you're a multi-multi-millionaire? You know, right after you're done pretending you're not? (laughs) So going back to that very first thing where we talked about the allness. Remember that? (laughs) All of those things, including the margarine. When you remember who you truly are, You live from that all-sufficiency, which is more than enough. You are rich. You are so rich. That power of the infinite expressing through you always is rich. It can't be otherwise. The infinite is not poor. 
I mean, there are a bounty. Look at all the leaves that are on that tree right there. I mean, so many you can't hardly even count. All of that is within you. So it's impossible. The more we have faith, as I said, the more we have faith in ourselves as the expression of the infinite, the more that we will manifest whatever it is in our lives. It's, this is, again, it's like a no-brainer. But we seem to be, you know, when I was growing up behind the door, when the brains were passed out in some places in my life. <laughs> so if you look at your life, say, for the past five years, haven't you always received what you needed Sometimes it showed up, you know, maybe at the very last minute. Sometimes it does. But maybe like the old song, you didn't always get what you wanted, but you always got what you needed. That is the all-sufficiency at work in your life. And I've had people ask me to share the cat food story, which was a story that was very profound in my own life because it changed everything for me. And I know it's a story, and I don't tell it very often, but it was requested, so... The cat food story. Many years ago, I think I was in Prac 1, and I was on my way home from class, and I needed to get cat food. You know, those of you who have pets, the pets reign. And uh, I may not have had enough food for me, but the cat had to have the cat food. So I stopped at Safeway on the way home, to, and it was pouring rain. This was in California. Even, it rains in California occasionally. And... Um, <laughs> And I was pouring rain. I went into Safeway. It was 10 o'clock at night, and I checked just to make sure that I had enough money, and I didn't. I had, I don't know, 30 cents or something. So I'm scrounging in the car, trying to find enough money to get a can of cat food. And I looked in the ashtray and on the floor and under the mats. And anyway, I gathered enough money to, I think, 60 or 65 cents. So I went in the store and I got this can of cat food and came out. And I was sat in the car and I was so angry. And I was angry at myself and I was angry at God. And so I was reminded of that uh, Gone with the Wind scene at the end where Tara says, as God is my witness, I will never go through this again. And I haven't. Because right then and there, the next day, I started tithing. And how I started tithing, again, I didn't think that I had enough money. I didn't believe that I was rich. And I was cleaning houses as I was going through science of mind classes and, and ministerial school. And, and, um, and I was making, I don't know, 5 or $6 an hour or whatever it was. And so I'd come home and I made a, a, a God jar out of a mayonnaise jar and put God on the, God's jar on the side of it, hole in the top. And I, and I think I started tithing with 2%. Because I couldn't do 10. That was just, and Father was terrified. So I uh, took 2% of whatever I got paid, and I put it into the God jar. And then at the end of the week, on Saturday, I would go to 7-Eleven, and I would get a money order. I didn't trust myself even with a checking account. So I would get a money order made out to the center, and that's how I started. And every couple months, I would increase it by maybe 1% or 2%. I had to get a calculator, because I had to figure out this high finance. And, um, and then finally, I got to about 8%, and I thought, oh, I'll just throw caution to the wind and jump to 10. So I jumped to 10, and I've not turned back. And I, I continue to tithe to this day, and it increases all the time. So one of, the th- one of the th- my friends at that particular time was uh, a woman who had a phrase that some of you may have heard. She used the word hoity-toity. <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? Hoity. I just like to say it, hoity-toity. It's kind of like if you're learning how to sing. The, mm. Anyway, <clears throat> so she would use that, uh, that negative judgment 
judgmental word to describe restaurants that she felt she couldn't afford to go to because only the Hwiti Tweety went there. Or she would not shop in certain shops because only the Hwiti Tweety went there. Well, anyway, I looked up the word Hwiti Tight, the words Hwiti. What did that mean? What's the definition? Snobbish, disdainful, proud, pretentious, arrogant, superior, thoughtless. Who wants to be thought of in those terms? No one does. Well, when we're judging those that have money with that kind of of, um, derogatory belief system, then all we're doing is pushing away that from us. When we're talking with resentment and anger about those who have more than we do, then we're keeping it from us. That which we resist persists. So we have automatically this resentment and resistance to having money on one hand. And on the other, we secretly want it, don't we? So this is something to be really watchful. And that's the, that supports the old saying, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Why? Because the poor keep affirming how poor they are. And the rich keep affirming how rich they are. And the law is working perfectly. It isn't fair, but the law isn't fair. The law just works. And because we believe in the omnipresence of life, what is true of you is also true of me. So when I judge you, no matter the reason, I'm really judging myself. Only it's easier to judge you Because if I saw that behavior in myself, I'd have to do something about it. And the ego will not allow us to see ourselves in an unfavorable light. So we project that onto others. So that's a behavior we want to absolutely stop. Not try at stopping, just flat out stopping it. Today. Today is the day. No more judgments. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about visioning. There's a difference between visioning and visualization. Larry's doing the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the, the treasure mapping workshop on the 31st, and that's really about visualizing. You know, whatever it is that you decide you want, you move into it, you live it, and it shows up in your life. <clears throat> visioning comes from a deeper place. It comes from that heart center. And you ask questions about that internal place that really is guiding whatever is going on in your life. So, excuse me. In 2000, excuse me, in 2008, I really was um, not knowing what to do with my ministry. And I didn't really want to go back into a a center um, again. And... um, it's a lot of work, and uh, and I and I really love teaching, and I have a knack for explaining science of mind principles in a way that people can somehow readily understand them, and so and I and I view that as my gift, and so during this time I decided that I would start doing my own visioning for my own life and my own ministry. So I got a, a book and and uh, just to keep for the visioning process. And there's a series of questions that you ask doing this process. And I started asking the questions, and I started doing the visioning process about three times a week, and then keeping track of what was revealed to me. 
during that time, and it was all about, you know, what is high, Spirit's highest vision for my ministry. And during that particular time, I went to a conference in Monterey, Mexico. Um, there was a minister's conference, and during that time, I met a couple named Sosa, who have a science of mind school, a literal school in Monterey, and they teach classes during the morning and during the afternoon. They have two little classrooms. Each classroom holds about 20 students, and that's all they do. They don't do Sunday. It's a Catholic country, um, but they teach science of mind. And I was so inspired by them. And during this particular visit, they had a huge banquet in honor of them, and the governor of the particular state, Nuevo León, was there, and he spoke about the Sosas. He was a student of theirs. Can you imagine how fun it would be to have the governor be a student of yours in a class? And he spoke about the Sosas and how they were changing the life of Mexico one thought at a time by teaching signs of mine. And I was so impressed with them. And I thought, I can do that. I can do that. I don't speak Spanish, but I can do that. <laughs> and I just knew that if I was supposed to do that, somehow, you know, there would be, be a way. And so I ended up moving to Mexico. And my first class that I love teaching, I developed a really wonderful class called Love Yourself, Love Your Life. And um, my first class, I had 17 Spanish-speaking women. And um, wow. I mean, it's such a gift to be able to do this work. Um, for women in a country that have been um, held down in ways for such a long time. And to see the light turn on was just inspirational, and it still inspires me. And um, I, I'm, I have to do this. I mean, it's just something that I, that I have to do. And um, it pulls me, and that's what happens with a big vision. It pulls you. You know, you're pushed you know, spirit pushes you until that, that vision pulls you. And it's something that you just can't let go of. So we must learn to increase our receptivity. Continuously extending who we think we are. Expanding our own definition. And Ernest Holmes talks a lot about increasing our faith by using affirmations and affirming the truth of who we are as beings on this earth plane. So I'm going to close today with an affirmation that we did many years ago. And um, I kind of get into the cheerleading mode, so I had to gear myself up for this. Um, but I'm going to read a line, and then I invite you to read it after, to share it after me. Good and more good is mine. And ever-increasing good is mine. And there is no limit to the good that is mine. Everywhere I go, I see this good. I feel it. I experience it. It crowds itself around me. It flows through me. It expresses itself in me. And multiplies itself around me. So let's do it again with enthusiasm. <laughs> And more good is mine. And ever increasing good is mine. There is no limit to the good that is mine. Everywhere I go, I see this good. I feel it. I experience it. It crowds itself around me. It flows through me. 
expresses itself in me and multiplies itself around me. And so it is. All right, let's do some prayer. So we move into that interior place, that place within that so resonates with the divine light of spirit flowing through us and all of life. I affirm that this presence is filled with love. It is the essence of love. It is the essence of everything that I see, move, or say. It is the the animation of my physical body temple. It is the wholeness it expresses through every cell. Every part of the infinite is expressing itself through and as me right here, right now in this moment. And as I affirm this for myself, I affirm it for each person here today. Each one of us is an expression, a perfect, perfect expression of this divine love. And so I accept and claim for each one of us the willingness to open our heart ever wider to that love as it flows through us, opening ourselves to the willingness to let go of the stories that have held us back and kept us small. For who we are truly is the light of the infinite expressing magnificently with every breath we take. And so as we allow that light to flow through us, it does so with a larger and larger expanses of light and love. And so in gratitude, knowing that this is the truth, as we change this planet one person at a time, one thought at a time, one moment at a time, we create a world that works for everyone. And so I just give thanks for this awareness and for this truth as it flows through us. And I release this word into that action of the law that literally always says yes. And so it is. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, You can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.